Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Before we get going today, I want to tell you about my very good friend's podcast, Badass Digital Nomad, hosted by Kristen Wilson. Now, you might remember Kristen from episode 96 on the Expat Money Show, where she absolutely killed it. Badass Digital Nomads is an awesome podcast that helps you to master the art of living and working from anywhere in the world. Kristen Wilson is a global relocation expert and online entrepreneur who has been helping people to move abroad and become expats since 2005. She has lived and worked across 60 countries in the past 20 years, and now she can share how you, too, can achieve a location-independent lifestyle through her actionable how-to episodes and inspiring interviews with online entrepreneurs and world travelers. With more than 90 episodes published to date, you can learn things like the eight essential skills you need to become a digital nomad, the pros and cons of remote work visas, or how to become a digital nomad after age 50. You also won't want to miss her regular updates about which countries are open for travel and tourism, and of course, my episode on how to invest offshore. You can find Badass Digital Nomads on every podcast platform out there or by visiting badassdigitalnomads.com. Also, make sure to subscribe to Kristen's YouTube channel, Traveling with Kristen, for weekly travel videos and cost-of-living guides on the best places in the world to travel. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is an author, social media consultant, and host of On the Run podcast at We Are Libertarians Network. He previously served as the outreach director at Parler, and prior to that, the social media coordinator at the Washington Times. I first got introduced to today's guest by a very good friend of mine, Mark Clare from Lions of Liberty, where I've been a guest many times. He introduced us and we became fast friends. Now, today, we're going to be discussing what is happening in the world of big tech and all the censoring of data that is happening around the world. I think that this is a very important topic for everyone to understand more about, not just expats. So, please welcome to the show, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, how are you, sir? Mikel, it's such an honor to come on as both somebody that's been an admirer of your work for some time and a subscriber and listener to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure, my pleasure. Rimza, why don't you take a minute and kind of talk us through your backstory? I'm super interested to learn about more about what you do and you know how this ties to the international space. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, I grew up in a small border town in uh, Arizona called Sierra Vista. My father was active army and we, we had the great, amazing opportunity to travel quite often, lived two years in Australia during that time, got to jump over to New Zealand, came back to the United States, uh, did, a, did a little run through Canada, went throughout the rest of the 50 states and eventually ended up outside of Washington, D.C. Um, in Northern Virginia. And for the past seven years, I've been a political consultant. I've been a freelance journalist. And uh, really, I've kind of cut my teeth as a social me media and digital strategist for both campaigns, small businesses, and media. And recently, uh, you know, did a five-month stint at Parler as their outreach director, really trying to help them build up their network and rebrand in a way so that way they could, you know, ultimately fulfill what they wanted, which was be a free speech social media network. And as of right now, what I'm doing is I'm helping small businesses really kind of maneuver around this digital landscape that we're in right now. Uh, E-commerce is the key to a lot of opportunities, but in the age of, you know, pandemics, lockdowns, and now with a lot of the digital confusion brought about by big tech, a lot of people are struggling and they're just trying to get by. They're, they're trying to just basically survive. And, you know, what I'm telling them is, listen, you can thrive. It's all a matter of adapting to your environment. So what, what I've been able to bring is this know-how of being, you know, being able to bring the the spirit of this combativeness I got from politics, understanding the constantly moving nature that I saw through media, and, and understanding how this technology speaks to people as I got with the with the tech startup. So it's an interesting time to be in this business. And ultimately, you know, a lot of people look at it and they might be a little intimidated, they might be a little bit scared, but really whether you're selling t-shirts or you're selling courses, whether you're selling books or whether it's a mom and pop shop, we can figure out a path for you. And that's what I've been trying to help people with during this time. Absolutely. That makes sense. So before we go any further, maybe give us a rundown of what happened at Parler. Now I know, and I understand that you have an NDA, so I'm not going to ask you to, you know, break any, anything that you've made in a contract, but just in a general, um, uh, layout of what's happened in the last month or so with Parler and maybe things that people can, can go and research and read more about because it's really shocking for me. Um, and I'll let you kind of tell the story, but, but the whole thing is quite shocking. Yeah. I mean, really what, what we've been able to see is what I consider a digital inquisition. This is almost what some people have been joking, free market fascism. Well, if you don't like the service provider, go get another service. If you don't like the bank, go get another bank. But what you've been trying to, you know, get through the last couple of years is understanding this incestuous relationship between big tech and big government. For a lot of your listeners, this is not a surprise. Big corporations get big lobbyists, big lobbyists get big politicians. They write big laws that nobody actually reads. And uh, Facebook and Twitter and Google have been really having a run at the land for a long time. So when it comes to digital startups like Parler, um, they succeeded where a lot of other alternative social media failed. Parler was not the first free speech oriented data privacy company out there, but they were were the most successful. And that's why they put a big target on themselves. I was there to help them uh, build their outreach and marketing department uh, around the time of the election before I left. And at that point, what we saw was major growth, not just coming from the political right, which I consider internet dissidents in today's day and age, you know, the American conservatives, so to speak. But what we're see what they were seeing was, you know, small businesses coming on politically apathetic people that don't like being treated like products, because the old saying goes, if 
the product is free, you are the product. And that's how these companies make money off of data, off of uh, following you, af- off of you know algorithms to basically constantly throw at you stuff that they think is going to go ahead and make you impulsively buy. And they're also checking your messages. Nothing you send on that messenger app or even WhatsApp anymore is between you and, and the person you're sending or between the group that you want to send it to. They're looking at everything. So, you know, when Parler was getting to the point where they were big enough to actually be a market competitor, that's when uh, all this other ruckus happened in the capital. And we don't need to go into that. But basically, uh, these big companies were looking for the moment where they could say, look, there's the excuse, go ahead and pounce. And within five hours, I think it was on January, um, you know, on a January 7th through the 8th, um, you know, within a five hour period, we saw the Apple store remove them for TOS violation. We saw Google Play remove them. Uh, and a majority of parlor users, much like Twitter, Facebook, any other social media site, people know this if you've done a little bit of homework, but majority of your social media traffic comes through apps. So when you remove them from being supported by these app stores, what you've done is you've basically just cut them off at the kneecaps. Uh, that wasn't it though. What happened was vendors started to leave. What happened was um, you know, payment processors started pulling out, uh, text message services, email services that help create the infrastructure all started pulling out. And then and the final, final kill switch was what happened with uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services. They basically said, we're no longer going to be hosting you. And when you do that, I mean, what happens to a company whose sole product is online based? They took them off the internet in almost like a you know, just a snap of their fingers, it was gone. So now at the time of recording, uh, Parler is still, you know, trying to build up. There are many good men and women there who just wanted to create a good product. While I was there, we had, you know, liberals, libertarians, conservatives, people that just wanted to build good products because ultimately free speech, data privacy, and being treated equal under terms of service is something we should all want. And now what has happened is it's basically been a shockwave sent throughout the world that you don't have to go ahead and silence people through the mechanism of government. You could do it through what people call woke culture or cancel culture, just basically become such a thorn in the side of your enemies that they will band together out of their own self-interest to take you out. And it's been, uh, it's been horrifying since. I don't think many people really understand the ramifications of the short term or long term. Well, I want to get into all of those things, because I, I do believe that this is the biggest story which is happening in the world. It's not the transfer of power in Washington. It's not coronavirus. I mean, what we really need to be paying attention to right now is big tech, and they're overreaching and overstepping, because these are really terrifying things. When big tech companies can basically go out there and say that they're more powerful than the president of the United States, and they can destroy, like, his business and many and millions of businesses around the world, I mean, that's really messed up. Like, I mean, is this the world that we want to live in? I know that there's been a huge exodus from platforms like WhatsApp and from Twitter and Facebook. I've seen that their stock prices have been starting to fall. I mean, you look at any of the um, secure and private messaging apps like Signal and Telegram and things, and I mean, they can't even keep up now with the amount of new users that are coming to their platforms. So I guess 
before we get into that, and yeah, and I absolutely suggest you guys to go out there and listen to my interview with John Mates. I mean, the CEO and founder of Parler. It's an amazing episode, and he really speaks about free speech and why it is so important. So I guess maybe explain a little bit more about the cancer culture and all of these types of things that go with it. What is your opinion? What do you see? What do you, what do you think that the concern and people need to understand is going forward? So the the stress amongst many classical liberals, and that's why I consider myself, I consider myself a classical liberal, a, a individualist, a free market person, live your life and do what you want as long as you don't harm me or take my stuff and force me through, you know, mechanisms of violence. I think that's a pretty basic thing. And, uh, you know, the big fear for people like you, people like me, used to be oppressive governments, fascism. My grandmother, uh, you know, was a refugee during the Korean War in the 50s. I mean, half her family was taken out because of communism. And luckily, we were able to come to the United States, and here I am today. But it, it brings about this, this really weird um, movement we're seeing where it's not just these governments who are a threat to you. It's now these giant big corporations. Now, I don't want to say we need to nationalize them. I don't want to say we have to break them up. But what we can address is the giant elephant sitting on the American uh, individual, uh, you know, in speaking in American terms, which is the fact that these companies have become too big and they have far too much power. When they can just go ahead and remove you for a small violation and give you 24 hours to pack up your stuff and leave, that's a bit of a problem. Well, I believe that private businesses have the right to go ahead and, you know, reject services and reject uh, certain business relationships, what we can see is that when everybody comes down on you within, you know, less than a five hour period, there's usually a bit more to the story. So what I'm deeply afraid of are two things. One, we're just going to go ahead and let, um, you know, big tech run rampant. You're going to have a lot of people using the free market as a proxy, using property rights as a proxy, but it really has nothing to do with protecting the free market system. It has to do with protecting corporate interests, because when you get this iron triangle of bureaucrats, the regulators, the lobbyists, and the policymakers themselves, um, you know, we, we become trapped in it. And this isn't just something that is, you know, threatening Americans. A lot of it is happening. You know, the battleground is the United States right now. But when I was a journalist, I was a columnist for a magazine called And Magazine in 2019. And I attended a conference where uh, Max Pappas, the director of policy at Google, was in attendance and he was giving a speech. Uh, it was uh, the International Students for Liberty Conference back when we actually used to have in-person conventions. And Google happened to be a sponsor. Facebook was a sponsor too. And this was several weeks after the CEO of Google had attended a hearing before the Senate, and it was in regards to this program they were developing for the Chinese government called Project Dragonfly. Basically, what it would have been was a far superior version of the Google search engine, but what it would have done was it would have actually reported the IP addresses and the locations of people that were searching up information, trying to obtain information that the Chinese government uh, viewed as dangerous. And what they basically did was they were putting together the software. They had some, some loose agreement with the Chinese, but what they kept saying was, well, it was an interesting thought experiment. We didn't go through with it. We might, who knows, who cares? They, they drew a line in the sand when it came to the U.S. government because they didn't want to develop 
the AI structure for, you know, drones. But when it came to helping one of the most authoritarian regimes in the world, well, it's just a thought exercise. Let's see how far it goes. And, and the interesting thing is, though, people often think, oh, it's just these progressive lefty lunatics who are running these companies. Max Pappas was the former um, uh, uh, chief policy advisor for Senator Ted Cruz, a pretty red-blooded you know, stiff-ribbed Republican. And prior to that, he was at Freedom Works, which was a, uh, you know, free market organization I also happened to work for for a bit. And, uh, you know, he gives his speech and he's talking about, you know, keep the government away from the internet. You know, we, we need innovators and entrepreneurs to make it so much better. He does a breakout session after that. And I'm like, you know, sir, I, I, I'm just curious. You talked about wanting to get the government out of the way of the internet and all the beautiful things it can do. But you guys just admitted you were working with the Chinese over what you considered a thought experiment. You don't dump hundreds of millions of dollars into a thought experiment. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm part of the, the, the blue collar class, but like even I know that when you're spending that much money, it's more than a thought experiment. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I mentioned Project Dragonfly, and he's like, well, that's a conspiracy theory. And I'm like, well, you know, it's funny you say that because I didn't get this from Alex Jones. In fact, I got this from Senator Mark Warner, one of the senior Democrats who was on the committee questioning your boss. I got this from Glenn Greenwald's The Intercept. I got this from Breitbart. I got this from the Media Research Center. I got this from Media Matters. It seems that the left and the right both have a problem with you working with China to basically rat out people who are trying to find things on this free and open internet you just talked about. Uh, he called me uh, a liar and all this other stuff, and I basically just got <laughs> booted out of the room. It was a fun time. I miss being a reporter sometimes. But that was one of those moments where it's like, you know, how many of those politicians at that hearing who were throwing him softball questions. One, how many of them were in the pocket of Google? How many of them had ever received contributions from Google or him individually or people on the board of Google? Secondly, how many of those politicians actually knew what the internet was? I mean, they all know how Google makes money. Google makes money because of Google ads, because of the data they sell, because of the other products they develop. Um, when the product is free, you are the product. So it, it was, you know, at that moment where I realized this is actually more complicated and far more ridiculous than I ever thought. Because now what you have is you have these companies that don't just think they're delivering a product, they think they can help with social manipulation. And whether you're hearing Jack Dorsey saying that he wants to, you know, silence half of America, or any of this other stuff coming out from uh, the people at Facebook who purposely go out of their way to intentionally target certain individuals based off political beliefs, regardless of TOS violations. Uh, this creates a, a bad, bad environment for everybody, and it's no longer them being restricted based off, you know, national borders. They're everywhere. Everyone with a phone can get access to this. And some people will say, well, you know, some apps, some products, they're not available in certain markets. Parler was not available in the European Union. It wasn't available in Africa, and it was scattered throughout Asia. Well, you still had enough people jailbreaking their phones to go ahead and get the apps. So, you know, it's out there. The, the genie's out of the bottle. But what this does is this creates this, uh, this incestuous relationship between big government and big tech because it's no longer, well, I could just go to another country and I'm protected under certain laws. No. When it comes to how these businesses are treated, it's, it's getting to the point now where there is no shelter. So do we have any other tools in our toolbox to defend ourselves at the moment from what's happening? Because, I mean... If they can come after Parler this hard and fight and close someone down in 
what did we say, five hours, a coordinated attack. Well, first of all, I, I think it's worth saying that, you know, this is not a coincidence that Amazon, Google, Apple, um, all these platforms, plus several other smaller ones, all got together on the same Sunday afternoon and decided that they're going to remove uh, Parler from their application. I mean, this must have been weeks, months in advance of planning. That would be my my guess. None, none of the smart people are that smart to just come up with it out of the blue. Yeah. Like this is one of those things that they have to really suss out and they usually bring in an army of lawyers to come in and really talk about how they can get away with this. Because, uh, I mean, I, I give I, I give Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and Bezos some credit. They know that they can't just go around purging half half the country based off political beliefs. That's a big chunk of the market that you're just getting rid of up front. So it's this balance between what can I do to make myself personally happy while at the same time making sure my investors don't leave? Because when they went ahead and uh, suspended the president, and I think Facebook said they might give him back his account after Biden's inauguration, that's kind of 50-50. They lost $52 billion worth of capital between both companies, just vanished, gone. So they know that there are immediate repercussions for this. And, you know, a lot of people, I think like 90% of at least the United States, they're not really ideologically driven. A lot of people I think are just are politically apathetic, especially businessmen. If you're smart, if you're a smart businessman, you you stay out of it and you make friends on both sides. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they're they're looking at- Or you're a libertarian and you make enemies of both sides. Everybody hates you. (laughs) Everybody hates you. It's a beautiful thing. I joke sometimes, I'm like, if you want to lose all of your friends and family- Become a libertarian like me. Because- I thought about writing a book, How Lose Friends and Alienate People. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm joking, but it's true. Um, okay. But what are? do you know any other weapons, some other self-defense weapons we have on the internet to protect ourselves from what is happening in the world right now of big tech? So, so the two biggest things I'm looking at right now are protecting your money, and protecting your ability to communicate. The moment they start debanking you, which I, I can get into in a minute, that's going to cause a lot of problems. But the ability to communicate is key. Um, I, I sat down with several small businesses a few weeks ago, Mikkel. Um, they are politically independent. They they sell a lot of you know like pro-American apparel stuff like that. They they lean right, and they don't talk about politics on their business accounts on Facebook. And they dumped almost a decade and tens of thousands of dollars into building up their Facebook account. And because they happened to talk about some stuff on their personal pages that was deemed misinformation or potentially dangerous, because they were just talking about stuff that you could talk about on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, wherever, um, their accounts were suspended. Well, you're not just suspending somebody's ability to share cat photos and send some stuff to their aunt across the country. What they just did was they took out their entire ability to expand their brand to communicate with their customers. And I asked them, where are you elsewhere? And they said, we were nowhere else. We were just on Facebook. How do you connect with your customers? Do you have a newsletter? No. Um, do you have do you have a CRM? Do you have a database of contact informa- information, phone numbers? No. What they did was they basically became victims of what I call uh, digital sharecropping, which is you spend so much time on somebody else's platform playing by somebody else's rules. It doesn't matter how well you do at following those rules and abiding by the terms of service. They can just get rid of you. And as they figured out the hard way, that's the entire business gone. And it wasn't just them. It was about four other people I was speaking with. I spoke with a major celebrity who's a client of mine. He had over 200,000 people on Parler. 
And that was his only social media site. So on Sunday, uh, the, the following Sunday after all, all, this, all the attacks happened, Amazon basically told them at 12 p.m. Pacific, I'm sorry, 12 a.m. Pacific time, uh, Parlor goes dark. So grab your shit and leave. Um, that morning, 6 a.m. Eastern time, probably 3 a.m. Pacific, I get a phone call. Dude, we, we can't lose all these people. How do we get in touch with them? So I was like, we got to make a newsletter. And he's like, a newsletter? What's that going to do? I'm like, it's going to be the difference between you succeeding and you not right now. So we were able to go ahead and collect about 17,000 uh, subscribers within a 24-hour period. It was like a mad dash. I've never worked that hard to build a newsletter list in my life. But that was just a thing. And to be quite, you know, to be honest, to be transparent, it wasn't even using a service I necessarily like. Let's put it that way. It just happened to be the most convenient, the fastest to set up and provide us what we needed to at least get our bearings, collect our stuff so then we can make the next decision. So we're going to be moving off of that service to another because we own the list, which is the important thing. But right now, uh, you know, you know, encrypted apps like uh, Signal. Let, let's talk about Signal for a second. Signal yeah, let's was go founded... into all of the the communication, and then we'll talk about the banking and the things like that about the finance afterwards, because yeah. I think that these are both really important things, and I do want to dedicate some time. So, okay, let's start with Signal. Let's talk about Telegram afterwards, and and some of the other ones maybe that are on the peripherals that people are looking at at the moment. We will just take a quick break. In a lot of the circles that I run in, the content creators are being deplatformed. People are being banned on Twitter, censored on Facebook, and YouTube channels are being demonetized. Basically, cutting off people's ability to reach their audience and share their message with the world. And it has gotten even worse than that. Entire companies are under siege. Servers are being shut down, and their products are being taken off of the App Store and Google Play. There is no question about it. There are some scary things going on right now. I want to make sure that I can continue to provide for you the best news and information from the offshore space every single week. That's why I want you to pause this episode right now and visit expatmoneyshow.com forward slash protection to sign up for EMS Pulse, my weekly newsletter. In it, you will find personal insights from my travels and over 21 years of experience in the international space. We will be looking at foreign businesses, generating income online, asset protection, corporate structures, new visas for digital nomads, and a whole lot more. So I hope you will take me up on this opportunity and sign up for my newsletter to make sure that you can continue to receive the best from the offshore space now directly to your inbox. Go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash protection. Okay, let's jump back into the episode. Yeah, so so far, when you look at most Apple devices, a majority of the market is using Messenger. Messenger can uh, be linked to your Facebook page. It's usually the companion app for that. And the, the problem with Messenger that people had was that they realized that Messenger is going to start targeting you with ads. That was the big uh, system that was going to allow them to actually monetize this feature. So based off of your conversations, based off of your topics that you're discussing with people and th this could be about just random stuff what you saw on tv to hey what was the diagnosis at the hospital hey um you know did did we did we pay the loan it, you know people have very private personal conversations on messenger which the app is reading and then they're targeting you with ads I, i've got i've got a quick story uh i 
I wanted a t-shirt from Alex Jones that had a picture of the moon and an American flag on there. And on the moon, it said 51st state. It was a funny t-shirt. I had seen a friend of mine owned. I'm not even an Alex Jones fan, but I saw the shirt and I'm like, you know what? That's a funny shirt. He'll take my money. Sent the link to my girlfriend. She's asked me, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I want this shirt. Could not send the link. And I keep sending it infowars.com slash store. And I'm like, I just want the freaking shirt. It's not an article. It's nothing. Why won't it let me send? Well, the, the, the link was, was blacklisted. Yep. You cannot send anything from them at all. So whether I was sending an article or a video from this site, which is probably one of the most banned sites on earth, I can't even send a link to a t-shirt that has a joke yeah, on it. In a private, private messaging app. Like it's supposed to be I can understand, quote unquote, understand. I mean, not saying I agree by any means, but okay, you can't reshare the content and put it out there on your feed. That's what they don't want. But even inside the private app between you and your girlfriend, they won't allow. Yeah, I, I felt I felt like I was stepping back to like the year 2000. I had to write the link on a napkin and ask her to go ahead and input it later. It was it was ridiculous. But, you know, that that was the problem with Messenger for a while. It just became more apparent because more stuff is getting blacklisted. More people are uh, having their stuff outed because they're having dangerous conversations because they're talking about politically incorrect things. Uh, that's why in I think it was 2015, uh, Facebook went ahead and bought WhatsApp. WhatsApp was one of the first major mainstream encrypted apps. And Facebook was like, well, we don't want it to be a competitor, so we'll just own it. And there are some pros and cons of WhatsApp. Is it encrypted? Yes, but you know who owns it. So it's only a matter of time of what have they already been doing that you don't know. Uh, the gentleman who bought, who who started WhatsApp, he went on to create Signal. Signal is really the true incarnation of what WhatsApp is supposed to be. Then Telegram came out about a year after that. But those two apps, uh, what what is great is that it's free and that they work. What sucks is that they run entirely off of donations, which is not that's sustainable because how many people using anything for free really value it enough to go ahead and be the one person in a sea of thousands that's going to go ahead and throw a few dollars at them. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, use the apps that actually benefit you and stand for freedom. But at the same time, you know, we, we need the private capital. We need the entrepreneurs, the business owners to start creating these services, these products, these applications, these providers, because if we don't actually start doing it, it's not enough to just say, I don't like Amazon. The thing is, Amazon's great and convenient. I bought something off Amazon this morning. It was a gut reaction. It's just one of those things. So it's it's easier said than done, but that's really where we're at right now. This is no longer in the world of theory. This is the reality in which we live in. Well, and then going back to what's up, from my understanding that, yes, it is an encrypted app, but they have a lot of backdoors. A lot of the information is held on the servers. There's a new terms of service that just came out last week. And apparently, I mean, I was reading in the news that the, the people who, who wrote the terms of service are saying that people are misquoting it, not understanding it. You know, this it, it is secure. It is private. I mean, I read through it. It didn't look, I mean, I spent an hour and I went through their terms of service and read every little detail I could about it. I mean, I didn't feel very safe. I mean, I'm encouraging all of my friends and family to leave these types of platforms and to move to things like Telegram and Signal. Um, now, what is your opinion? Do you think that we are going to continue to have encrypted apps that are going to protect us 
from big government, from big tech and things like that? Or do you think there's going to also be a consorted effort to remove these things in our own, you know, for safety or to stop terrorism or drug cartels or some other made up nonsense? It's really a, a catch-22 scenario because everyone wants to go ahead and balance security with liberty. Uh, let, let's look at Skype, for example. Skype was the first ability for you to actually make phone calls using the internet, ha avoiding uh, the telephone providers. And the reason why it was initially illegal for people to use was because they tried saying, well, if, if you use this, terrorists might use it, and we don't want you to use it. And everyone was like, well, you know, what, what, what about phones terrorists can use phones and then everyone realized wait a second you're, you're tapping our phones you're pulling yeah. our phone <laughs> records and, and long story short skype is able to live and then you've got other companies that come on and start to begin to provide the same service of little different aspects um that that has basically turned to the point where where that's not even true if the government wants to go ahead and subpoena a bunch of records from zoom or skype or whatever they can go ahead and grab it, it it's basically just become that slight conven that slight convenience of oh you don't have to pay for a new service or provider but you just sacrificed a lot of your privacy when it came to encryption that was something that was a, a more discussed i want to say in 2016 when it came to the uh shootings that happened i think it was near uh, santa monica in california a couple of uh you know jihadists went ahead and you know massacred about a dozen people and apparently they were organizing through an encrypted messaging app they i don't think they specified which one it was on an iphone so the fbi grabbed the phone and they took it over to tim cook at apple and they said get into it and tim cook said no and long story short he actually did put out a pretty lengthy i'll say valiant statement basically saying listen if we do this this one time none of these products are going to be safe we will never ever get this again so don't just give it up because we need to to find a couple of criminals understands that if you've ever been afraid of anybody having too much consolidated authority over your ability to communicate you're next and sadly that's where we're at now i think when it comes to telecommunications um you know we're gonna see more decentralization but in terms of encryption it's next because they're already talking about signal you know what what's funny was i always knew signal as the preferred app of drug dealers so now when i see my mom and a bunch of other people joining signal because they're afraid of you know know Zuckerberg reporting them to the FBI because they shared an angry article from Breitbart or Fox or something it, it, it's it's kind of funny in a way because it's almost like well you know we've been telling you about this for some time now it only just became inconvenient when now we're all the radicals well I actually had a notification I saw my father come up on signal the other day and I might <laughs> <laughs> no offense dad but I mean you're kind of a techno retard like you can't he, he he can barely use a phone at all. And I mean, he's installed Signal. And I was like, I was laughing. And I, I, actually, my first instinct was to go and check the phone number. I thought maybe someone had hacked or like, you know, had gotten control of his device. And I was like, Dad, is that you? Is that really you? He's like, yeah, I heard it's much better. I heard it's much safer. I was like, yeah, it is. Like, like this is bizarro. World. You don't want to yes, see I what support we're doing you. here, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally support him. So so now we we chit chat back and forth on Signal instead of uh, instead of on WhatsApp. But I mean that is the mass adoption. Adoption. You know, I I also joke sometimes that what is happening between 2020 and 2021 is basically CNN and Fox News and the government is doing all my marketing for me. I mean, moving overseas, moving to a I different country. I hope you country. have made so much money. 
so much money this I can past neither year. Uh, confirm nor deny this statement. But I mean, they're literally doing all my marketing for me. Like, I don't need to now, you know, be that one crazy guy at the top of the mountain, you know, yelling, hey, everybody, you better protect yourself. Look at the downside. Watch out. Have a plan B. It's like they're doing it all for me. I mean, all you have to do is just listen, just watch, have your eyes open, and you'll see that you need to protect your stuff. This stuff is real. Like, it's happening right now today. This is not science fiction. This is not, oh, one day we're going to have problems, so, you know, in the future you better have a backup plan. It's like, no, now you're late to the party. And I have so many people who are, are trying to catch up at the moment. And I mean, like, I, I, I'll, get a, I'll get an email on Sunday at 9 p.m., and then respond, and then I'll get a second email from this person on like Monday at 10 a.m. or something. And it's like, I've emailed twice and I haven't heard back from you and your staff. And they'll be like messaging me on Twitter or Facebook or something. And I'm like, it's been like 18 hours or 20 hours or something like that. I was asleep. Like, give us a few minutes here to catch up. But people are super motivated right now. Yeah, I mean, nothing motivates like fear. As, as draconian as that sounds, nothing motivates like fear. And, uh, you know, right now, the, the, this, this mob of people that are going out to wanting to silence their, their opponents that want to go ahead and take out their competition, what they're doing is creating more of a monster. I used to joke that uh, Donald Trump is Mitt Romney's Hulk. It's like if you had just been nicer to Mitt Romney in 2012, you wouldn't have had to deal with Trump in 2016. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get what you pay for. So, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. prizes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, right now you've got CNN, MSNBC. And, you know, I, I, I used to have friends everywhere, Mikkel. Like when I was at the Washington Times or when I was, you know, freelancing for some other outlets, I could go, I could go grab lunch with somebody from the Washington Post. I could go meet with somebody from CNN or Fox or Al Jazeera or RT or any of these places. There used to be a mutual camaraderie amongst people in the media, despite how the labels and how the slants and biases might be. You know, everyone still calls us the, the scum of the earth at the end of the day. So we all have that in common. It just <laughs> depends on who's calling you that. Now that doesn't happen. And it hasn't happened for, for many years now. And you've got people at CNN basically saying, you know, we need to handle uh, this, this radical media. We need to take out Fox. We need to take out One American News. We need to take out Newsmax um, here in the United States. And it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know that we were in Hugo Chavez's Venezuela where we're just going to have the one news station. It's like, what, what, what do you want out of this? Because th this is where, and I've, you know, I, I, I'm not a real libertarian, according to people on Twitter. I say that's kind of fascistic in, in a sense, don't you think? And then they're like, well, they're a private company. They could do what they want. And I'm like, what does it mean, though, when you've got other private companies telling other private companies you need to do this or else we're going to name and shame you forever? We're going to make sure nobody does business with you. We're going to make sure nobody uh, ever associates with you. You've got people here now. You've got what's funny is American liberal students right now are at Harvard, and they're trying to get the, the, uh, the administration to pull the degrees of every Republican who ever attended Harvard who served what? during the Trump. And it's like, now we're pulling degrees. Mao Zedong is clapping in his grave <laughs> right now. He's like, yes, let the scholars lead the revolution. And it's one of those moments where it's like, you know, this happened. I, I, I feel like, I feel like a political centrist, Mikkel. Like I, I'm kind of an equal opportunity hater. 
I really have crap to say about everybody. But, you know, when you have me defending Alex Jones and all these other people, it makes me feel kind of awkward because it's like I don't even really like them. But, you know, it got to the point where it's like the, the sliding scale keeps moving. And there's this term that's coming out now amongst economists and pundits. It's called the parallel economy. What basically we're going to see happen is we're going to see a set of, uh, you know, a set of services and producers for one ideological group. And then we're going to see a whole subset for another. And people think, well, that's just what has to happen. And maybe it does. Competition brings out the solutions that free people need in order to get what they want out of the market. So that way you're putting your time and your money where you feel it's best being used. I, I tell this story quite often. In, a, in 2018, I was working for a candidate up in New Hampshire running for Congress, and I was wearing a Nike jacket. Now, Nike has been like, you know, saying Satan for several years amongst the American right, who I have enough crap to say about. But, uh, you know, because of Colin Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter, Nike became an activist company. I still love their products. I'm wearing, you know, Nike clothes right now. I love them. I'm not burning my stuff on YouTube. Um, you know, just too much money went into that. So I'm in the middle of the rain. I'm wearing my Nike raincoat. This guy comes over and it's a primary election. So it's to choose who the party will nominate to run in the general election. This guy comes over to me. He's like, Republican? I'm like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's like, who's your guy? And I'm like, here it is. I give him the pamphlet. Looks at the pamphlet. Looks at me. He's like, I'm not voting for him because you, you're wearing Nike. And Nike hates America. And he walks in. And I'm just like, did that just happen? Wow. Where's Ashton Kutcher pulling my leg? I'm on <laughs> punked or something. That's not real. But that that's that's what's happening. And you know, the left does cancel culture best, and the right likes to use it when it's convenient for them. It's like Chick-fil-A in the United States. So, you know, Chick-fil-A became one of those things where it's like, do we love it or hate it now? Who are we burning at the stake today? And, and what really scares me is that as the American left and as the American right further separate from each other, each camp is going to begin purging their own. Everything is going to become almost a religious declaration of faith. And, and I don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating when I say this, but uh, I had the honor of being invited to attend an event at the Rwandan embassy in 2019. Uh, it's actually one of the moments where it's like, wow, this is this is me actually providing my value. I was writing a story about it. I, I'm going to be here for a good reason. And it was to remember, um, I, you know, the anniversary of the Rwandan genocide. And I think people really have a, a very small understanding of the Rwandan genocide because almost two thirds of the country was just wiped out just within the span of three months. Hunt Tens of millions of people killed. And it was because of weaponized identity politics. You know, we look at the Holocaust and the world stands together and says, it will never happen again. But it happens with the Jews under Stalin. It happens with migrant populations in China. It happens throughout Africa. And when the UN was there looking at what was going on in Rwanda, we've all seen the movie, they just left. They pulled up, and what did we do? We watched it, and it was nothing more than just identity politics. Are, are you, or you know, who who are you? What clan do you come from? What tribe are you from? Christian or non-Christian? And we think, well, that can't happen here, but it starts with the media we're consuming. Then it moves to the places we're shopping. Then it goes to the schools we attend. Then it goes to who we're voting for. And now we can't do anything 
without having to first go ahead and give a declaration of faith. Well, before you before you go ahead and attack me and everything about me and my family, make sure I lose my job. Let me tell you, everyone I voted for and every cause I believe in and all this other stuff, whether it's MAGA or Black Lives Matter, it's inconvenient for people that just want to live their lives. And that's mm-hmm. what terrifies you me You have right to preface now. it everything you say. I mean, if I say anything heading to the right, I mean, I have to preface it that. And if I say something to the left, I have to preface it that. I mean, like, you can't just say an idea or a belief. You have to make a declaration of where you stand in the overall hierarchy or, or separation of, of things. I mean, it's insane. It wasn't like this a couple of years ago. I mean, and it's getting worse every day. It's getting worse. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't want to make fun of Canada, but like, it's funny when I tell people Canada has some of the most stringent free speech laws in the world. You will go to jail for saying something that people don't like. In the United States, we hear that, and we're, we're, you know, we, we're looking at it, and we're like, yeah, that, that should happen. The Canadians are good on that. And it's like, really? It's like, it's not just going to Canada. It's going throughout the entire European Union. You know, Brexit did a lot of good things that I don't think are going to come to fruition. And now they're jumping down the throats of people when it comes to speech and everything else. It's like it doesn't just stop. They don't they don't take one thing and just leave it at that because you compromise. They keep taking more because it's not a give a mouse to cookie a scenario, you know, to to reference that popular children's book that I've been referencing way too much recently. It's it's almost like that in effect, because when it comes to the consolidation of power. People don't like to give power back, Mikkel. In fact, yeah, humanity has a pretty terrible reputation when it comes to collecting power and then wanting to give it back to the plebeians and everyone else. So let's continue our conversation on communication. So we kind of spoke a little bit about the secure apps for communicating privately. But let's talk a little bit about the business owners in the group here, the people who are doing marketing, who are trying to have some type of an online income or even a brick and mortar income where people need to communicate with their customers, with their prospects. Yeah, absolutely. If the past couple of weeks have shown anything for at least businesses within North America, it's this. If you do not have direct contact capability with your customers, you have to be willing to say at any minute, if I lost them all overnight because I lost one platform, I could still survive. Nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to say that. Um, you know, I, I've, I've cut my teeth in direct marketing. And for people that don't realize it, uh, direct marketing, mar- marketing and advertising are different. I feel like I usually have to preface with this. Marketing is the ability in which you're trying to tell the story. Advertising are the tools and mechanisms you do to contact people. Uh, indirect is like a billboard. Direct is actually going door to door. And when it comes to the internet space, it, it kind of jumps between the two, depending on what you're kind of doing. And I think a lot of business owners have become soft because they've relied on social media so much. And, and In fact, in the United States, we have this situation called news deserts, where because so many people are getting their information from social media and from big media companies, local newspapers are dying out. And local newspapers used to be a great source for the classified section for local advertisements, because you could pretty much uh, tell yourself, if I want to hit all my people within a certain zip code, I could buy an ad in the newspaper. 
Now, with the internet, that made that difficult. With social media, it made it more difficult. But you know, some direct uh, direct marketing practices, such as direct communication, you know, that stuff is never going to go out of style. It's never going to go out of business. And depending on where you're at in the world, uh, lockdowns and everything else, it might mean the difference between you you thriving and you surviving. I had a call of somebody last week. I asked them, "When was the last time you went out of your way to go meet another local business owner?" And they said probably four or five years. And I'm like, drive down to the strip mall, you know, wear your mask, social distance and say hi and introduce yourself and let them know you're there to instill some goodwill. And if there's any way you could be a service, you'd be happy to help. If they, if they, you can refer them clients, and if they could do so likewise, you know, what, what have you done? You've made a friend, you've made, you've made eye contact with somebody else and you've expanded your network. Simple things like that, even now in the age of everything going on matter more so than ever. Um, you know, direct mail, people, people laugh at me when I say this, I was 19 years old learning direct mail ad copy strategy. And it was, uh, in the year 20, 2015. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, this is useless, but you know, looking at the nonprofit space, almost 70% of your, uh, total revenue in terms of donations is going to come through direct mail of all things, because people like to have that real physical thing that connects you and them together. No amount of digital content is ever going to fill that gap. So really, um, I'm not telling you to, you know, cut all your digital spending to have no internet presence, but now is probably a golden opportunity for you to reevaluate the blind spots that you have and understand how do I create that direct contact with people, whether it's through direct mail, a newsletter, or even just making sure you can get something uh, out of, you know, get 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 a day where you just go and say, I'm going to go meet 10 business owners. I'm going to go ahead and call 20 past clients and just see how they're doing. Don't try and sell them anything. Just connect with them. Let them know that you genuinely care. And if there's a way you can help them, if there's a way uh, you can cut them a discount or something else, you're willing to do it. Uh, It seems archaic. It seems medieval, but it works. And it might be the difference between you putting up a sign on your door when you can finally go back to your office that says open versus for sale. Now, I agree with that completely because I think that People became so reliant on the internet that they've ignored things that have worked for decades. And I mean, I got a lot of my start in direct response copywriting. We built assets and the asset would be a sales letter. I mean, that's what I was trained on. Um, You know, I do a lot of newsletters now. I do them digital, but at least with the newsletters, like we own the list. I mean, that's our database. I never built my business on social media. If you go on social media right now, I mean, I've got like 4,000 followers on Twitter. But I mean, we get 4 million people who read the blog and I mean, visit the website. And from that, we are able to collect newsletter or email addresses to send out newsletters. I tell people this, like uh, a 400 person email list with a 50% bounce rate is better than having 10,000 people follow you on Twitter. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the open rates are going to be way higher. I mean, you're, you're actually going to get to, you're going to get your message where you want it. It's not going to be constricted in what you say. You're going to have no limit on how many words you can use. You're not going to be penalized by sending people to a product or off site. I mean, anytime you try to put anything on Facebook or Twitter or any of the social platforms with a URL, which is going to take them off of that platform, unless it's a pay to play, forget about it. It will be buried. Like you're, it will never surface in their feed. So, I mean, 
learn the skills now for your business, which are going to not only to help you survive, but actually prosper with what is happening because the restraints from social media and from big tech are going to get worse and worse. They're not going to get better. Like there's just no question about it. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's look at the one thing that was my biggest sales pitch to businesses when I was at parlor, it was priority algorithms, priority algorithms to Break it down Barney style for some folks. They're the systems and algorithms on Facebook and Twitter that curate your content, not to give you the stuff that you necessarily want, but to give you the stuff you're more likely to impulsively engage with and more often than not buy. You, you are the product. What they are trying to do is they are trying to sell you as much stuff as possible. That's why you could go weeks without seeing any content from a page that's posting daily from somebody that you opted to follow. And for a lot of small businesses, they, they would tell me, you know, in, in the beginning of Facebook and Twitter, you could go viral, you could grow massive followings. It was a great sales lead and referral generator. It was the number one source of new customer traffic to their site and to their business. And then, you know, it got to the point where it, it's more like if I want to place an ad, I'm not even growing. I'm just paying permission to get back my own following. It's that social digital sharecropping mindset of it's not yours. I mean, it, it is, but it's really not. And with Parler, they it, they didn't have that. If anyone wants to get rich overnight, build a build a social media platform with a decent app and no priority algorithms, because your your total CPM rate goes down, your total uh, number of ad buys in terms of uh, total volume per purchase goes up, and you can actually grow a following insanely fast because you're not turning the person into the commodity. You're really trying to meter out and build up that, that digital real estate on this one application. And that was, I, I think, and you know, this isn't anything that get me in trouble. I think that was something that Facebook was worried about because I had a lot of people saying, you know, I spend $400,000 a year, or I spend a million dollars a year on ads and I'm taking it away from Facebook and I'm going to bring it here because the product is better. Yeah. You guys have some, you know, reputation. We might not see eye to eye, but the product is good and the people are here and it works and it's saving me money and it's making me money. Mm -hmm. No, I understand completely. So let's continue the conversation then. I mean, communication with your customers is obviously going to be massively important. But then we're talking about the financial side as well. Break down what you meant by that and what you see are kind of the steps going forward that people need to keep in mind. I try not to live in fear of too many things outside of my control. I, I try and remain pretty stoic when it comes to the things that make me nervous because I'm a normal human being. I've got fears and stuff like anybody else. But one of the things that actually really keeps me up at night is my ability to have access to my money. And with the cryptocurrency revolution, this decentralized system in which we actually have sound money in a digital form, uh, it, it brings with it a lot of opportunities, but it's not just my pitch saying get into crypto. It's having access to your money. And this is what your show has actually helped me expand my mind on and, you know, give to people as a reference. Uh, what we saw with Donald Trump a week after the events on the Capitol Hill was Deutsche Bank and several other banks. They closed his checkings, his savings and all his money markets. Now, imagine 
this. Like Donald Trump will be fine. Like I don't think Chase Sapphire or Bank of America or Wells Fargo or any of the other banks out there and credit unions in the country, he will find a place to put his money. A lot of places would be happy to have it, whether they hate him or not. It's good business. But you know, for regular people, for just everyday politically apathetic people, well, I'm nobody who would want to target me. And now they're like, why can't I talk to my friends on Facebook anymore? Uh, why, why are people at work looking at me, calling me a, a potential domestic terrorist because of how I voted or something? Uh, what happens to them when they lose access to basic banking services, checking savings, access to credit loans, money markets, investments? I, I fear that this next great cultural purge is going to come in the form of debanking. And that means a lot of things to a lot of people. I'm not here to give individual financial advice. Please seek out professional uh, uh, you know, advice from you know, somebody who could talk about that. But what I am doing myself right now is I'm trying to really assess how can I have quick access to my money in the United States and outside of it? How do I go ahead and make sure that I can easily grab it without having to worry about any government looking at it, whether it's cryptocurrency or not? Um, you know, we brought up earlier, you know, there will be a need for new companies to come up to provide basic services and products to different people based off ideological grounds. But banking is going to be a, a big part of that. And what your show has done is it's informs thousands of people that you need to be able to protect your money. And if you thought, oh, that's just for rich people, that's just for, you know, the, the Kanye's and the Elon's and the Jeff Bezos's of the world. I'm sorry, because the world just became a hell of a lot smaller, and even you're not safe, and your money certainly isn't. Well, and I would add one to that. I think that, first of all, I do agree what, what you're saying about the difficulties that we're going to see in the future with banking. But I'm going to go one step further, and, and you guys can all hear it here first. I think that what we're going to have to be worried about in the future is capital controls, in this inside the United States. So basically you being able to send your money from the United States to another country or transfer or convert US dollars to foreign funds. I think that there's going to be a real block on this. There's going to be limits on how much you can transfer out of the country and what you can convert. I think what you're gonna see is the same type of problems that China is having right now. Chinese citizens, when they're trying to remove finances and money and investments from China, it's put a block on. I mean, it's imposed by the banks. And I mean, there's only a certain amount of money that they can have leave the country right now. People have built entire businesses on trying to get this out. I mean, Macau is a prime example. Macau is one of the largest gambling districts in the world because they have these giant packages where a wealthy Chinese businessman will buy a package for a million dollars or five million dollars or ten million dollars in Macau. It will be private flights down there, his hotel, and a certain amount of chips. And he goes and uses those chips and loses them all at the casino, or then uses a certain amount of it and then can cash it out afterwards to try to get his money outside and put it in foreign investments. I mean, we're going to have to see a whole ton of crazy things that it will happen in North America going forwards, just so that people can make investments and move money as they want. So my recommendation and my suggestion to people right now is while the door is open, get that offshore bank account, buy the foreign real estate, you know, start working with a private offshore vault, get some money into, into precious metals in a foreign country. These are real life things that in a couple of years, you are gonna be so thankful 
that you did the process now. Yes, KYC and AML is a pain in the ass. I know that. I understand. I've been through it a hundred times. But make the effort right now. Don't be lazy. You know, if 2020 and 2021 has taught us anything, is that things change quickly. They change really, really, really fast. And things that people expect to take decades can happen in months. So please, while doors are open, take this seriously. And I really want to emphasize this. You know, I I, I, I talked a lot of smack about the American left, but uh, there, there's a term that terrifies me, and it's called it's called a economic patriotism. This was a buzzword that came out during the Obama years when he wanted to go ahead and raise the corporate uh, the the corporate income tax in the United States, and you had a lot of companies like Burger King, for example. Burger King is now incorporated in Canada. You had some others that went over to uh, to. France, England, where apparently it's better than the United States, where, you know, we, we had a whole revolution about taxes, but we became worse than King George. I think that's hilarious. But, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the American right, uh, they, they saw that they're like, you're attacking the free market system. Then during the, the four years of the Trump administration, he pulled the term out. Yeah, you need to be an economic patriot. Bring all these manufacturing jobs back. Tariffs here, tariffs there. Bring it back. And you had a lot of partisans that were like, yeah, do it. Who's against economic patriotism? And it's like, whether it's Biden or Trump, whether it's Kamala, Bernie, Cruz, Paul, whoever, you're going to have too many people in the way of you getting your freedom back and rarely has government ever anywhere not just talking the united states given back power they've taken from people we're in year 20, 20 we're in the year we're in the 20th year of the war on terror we have the Patriot Act under a different name. We still have the TSA. We still have all these draconian measures when it comes to your access to your money and your ability to travel and your ability to speak. And, uh, you know, as, as you said, exactly, it's like you have a very small window right now. You got to take advantage of it because we're out of the realm of theory. Now this is the world we're living in. Absolutely. Brilliant. Remzo, I love it. Amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, where can we send them? You can find me across the amazing internet at Hey Remso, H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O. Hopefully when Parlor comes back, you could just find me there at Remso. But please go ahead and subscribe to my show on the run on every Monday and Thursday at the We Are Libertarians podcast network at wearelibertarians.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Remzo, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Mikhail. So I want to remind you to go to expatmoneyshow.com to pick up your free special report called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. We have had some really good feedback with this. It's actually a project I've been working on for probably about four years now and been offering it to my subscribers. And I am constantly updating it with the best and the newest resources for people wanting to go abroad. It is really amazing. I'm really happy with the work that we've done. And it's really different than a lot of the other projects out there or special reports or eBooks or anything like that. And this is one of the main differences. It is highly curated, it is highly condensed. 
It is not 400, 500 pages long and talking about every single thing out there and every single little detail. Actually, that doesn't serve anyone. Your best bet is always to go with the really, really condensed information so that you can connect the dots, so you can understand what's happening and how things fit together. And that's exactly what this special report does. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can find it completely for free 100% free at expatmoneyshow.com. Talk soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.